All right, good morning. I love being in in Matthew. I like being in, in the Gospels and, and seeing, you know, the, all the new things that Jesus is bringing to his, his followers. And, and uh, this morning is no different. Uh, Jesus, this, this uh, recount of, of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees brings us to uh, something I think can confront every single one of our hearts at least a, a little bit and, and definitely confront the, the church overall. So we're just going to dive right in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 1 through 14, well, verses 1 through 21, right now, 1 through 14. It says, <clears throat> At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they may accuse him? He said to them, Which of you has a, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take, it, take hold of it? Uh, take hold of it and lift it out. Or how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to break down the first, uh, probably eight, eight verses of this first, and then go to the, the second part. But I wanted to read it all because it's all kind of relevant to this, this first part that he says. Uh, this, this question arises... To Jesus and his disciples and what they're doing. He and his disciples, they were gathering food, and you think, okay, well, it's not a huge deal. Of course, we know it was. Uh, Jesus, or Jews weren't even allowed to, uh, to cook food on the Sabbath, let alone collect food and do that kind of work. So the, the Pharisees scold Jesus regarding what he and his disciples are doing, and of course, that the, uh, in Jewish tradition, the teacher was responsible for all of his students. Actions, And so they come straight to Jesus and, and they say, hey, you guys aren't permitted to do this on the Sabbath. And instead of ex simply explaining, you know, Jesus explaining, hey, my guys are hungry and, and having them eat is more important than the Sabbath. Jesus actually takes it a step further. He states something much bigger. So he refers to this story of, of uh, David in 1 Samuel where he took the holy bread from the priest and he fed it to his, to his men. So David, as you know, was already exalted as king, but Saul was still the actual king. And so David hadn't come into royalty yet, but he was anointed as the king. And uh, the priest of Shiloh, he, he came in to them hungry. The priest of Shiloh gave them bread that was meant for only the priests to give, to have. 
And so this was an affirmation to David of his anointing as king and his claim to, the, to royalty. So Jesus here isn't simply making that, that single statement that his disciples are more important than the, the Sabbath or the law. He's making a much larger comparison, a much bigger comparison. He's saying that he and his followers matter more than the temple. So just like the prescribed work that the Pharisees are allowed to do on the Sabbath, they actually do more work in the temple on the Sabbath, maybe even double the amount of work that they normally do. But it's, per, it's permissible because they're bringing more glory to God as an act of worship. They're bringing more offerings to God. And so their work is permitted. And so Jesus is saying the same thing, that his followers matter more than the law, the procedure, or the building. And this, of course, sets up everything for the modern day church we know that we are the temple of god not this building if this building were to burn down well our faith shouldn't really suffer that much this of course isn't to say that god has changed his mind with the sabbath and all that jesus wasn't attacking the the sabbath he was attacking the way that all of this had become so powerful that many of them had forgotten what these laws were even put in place for in the first place they were distracted by the strict observance of the law that it was getting away of their love for God, what this law was all about. Mark shares a, a parallel story, a parallel recount of this story in uh, chapter 2, and, and he's, he quotes this from Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So let's not forget this. The, the Pharisees have their whole sense of worth coming from the law, coming from this kind of stuff. So it's not just that they were upset over the, the beliefs. He was threatening their every, every facet of their life, their entire way of life. He may have been going after, in their mind, their, their structure of influence and power. What it would have meant for their life was, well, this could ruin us. And then, so Jesus, he's, he's saying that, his disciples are more important than the temple, even the temple itself, not just this little thing, the whole temple, everything that's going on that the Pharisees are doing, his disciples are more important than that. But he's also likening himself to David, who was the, the coming king. He's, he's creating this, this parallel that he, uh, he is the coming king. And so, of course, he says it blatantly, the son of man is Lord over the Sabbath. So as we already know, this is a huge statement. It refuse, refu refers to Jesus as the one who is carrying God's authority. And this is the, ultimately the, the kind of sentiment that leads Jesus to the cross. This is what gets him uh, killed in the, in the very end. And so what happens here? Same thing. Verse 14 says, But the Pharisees... There is. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The Pharisees plotted against him with the intention of doing away with him. They realized that there was no way they could blend their empire with Jesus' kingdom. There's no way they could blend those two where they could coincide. And my first thought is well, does this ring true for us? Does this ring true for me? Because Jesus, he just got done telling his disciples a chapter before that all rest, it isn't found in the Sabbath. All rest is found in me. He's like, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Rest in me. The Sabbath was a, di a day to reflect on Jesus. The Sabbath couldn't give them rest, but Jesus could. 
But the Pharisees wanted to see the preservation of themselves over the exaltation of Jesus. Their empire couldn't blend with Jesus' kingdom. How many of us find peace in our empire? I think it's easy to do. It's like that, that idea of what happens when you know, the economy threatens to collapse around us. And we say, we might say, oh, well, we're fine. We'll, we'll be set. Uh, I have money, whatever. Or when COVID hit, hits hard and we're out of work, like, well, um, I've done pretty well for myself. Like, I'll be fine. I've been pretty successful. Or the other side, like, you know, I'm healthy. I, I keep myself in a, you know, pretty good shape. I take care of myself. I'll be fine. Or when all that stuff really starts falling, maybe that's when we notice. When everything starts coming down around us, it's like, well, I've lost my health. Like, that's not a sure thing anymore. Or my retirement's been cut in half. Or my, my job is, is on the rocks. It's, it's, I'm feeling threatened. My empire feels threatened. Or my family is disintegrating. Like, what happens in, in those moments? And that's what's happening here for the, the Pharisees. Their empire is getting threatened, and it's making them way more vulnerable. It's threatening their very value to society, their identity. And in their mind, they're bound to end up like one of those social outcasts we see all the time in Jesus' stories. Or like the man here with the, with the messed up hand. They see themselves being, okay, well, I'm going to end up washed up, destitute. I'm going to not have a job. I'm not going to have worth. Maybe I'll lose my wife, my family. And they think we have to do something. They're going into panic mode. They realize that these two things don't blend. One of them has to go. They choose to keep their empire over the kingdom. And maybe we need to come to a similar Realization, a realization that maybe our empire doesn't make me mix with Jesus' kingdom. And maybe we need to truly rely on Jesus and give authority of our, over our lives, our whole lives. I feel like I can pretend pretty good that I can mix my empire with my life in Christ. I feel like I can, I can pull that off. And uh, the reality comes, well, at some point, when things start to go down, like I got to choose to bail. I got to choose to go down with the ship or rely on, on Jesus. And, and uh, I think many of us probably know what that feels like. When your world starts crumbling, you realize all the things you re relied on before Jesus. You realize everything that you may have put your trust in before you put your trust in Christ. And at least hopefully you realize this. And uh, did the opposite of what the Pharisees did. Because the Pharisees, they decided to not lean on Jesus. And, and uh, maybe they were blinded by their success. There's something else uh, here I, I think that maybe we miss as well. And it's, it's something that Jesus gets angry to deal with. So all of this, uh, first off, all this is written in, in Matthew 12. It's not a coincidence. It's right here in the middle of Matthew because this is a continuing narrative of Jesus as fulfillment of the law. Jesus as, as living word. 
At the end of last chapter, Matthew uh, eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then Hebrews 10 kind of paints a, a, a different picture of all this. It says, For since the law was just a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So it's saying like everything of the law, these, these sacrifices, these rituals, these ceremonies, all this stuff were just a shadow of the good thing of, of all the good things to come. And that's Christ, the living word. And so Jesus is saying all that stuff, it's, it's pointing to me. It's, it's not against me. And so considering this Christ, he's come to not get rid of everything before him, but to accomplish really the whole purpose of what all that was instated for in the first place. In Isaiah 55, we're not going to read this right now, but Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, it shows that God's intent was to bring the law and, and, and he's accomplished everything within the law, that he didn't change his plan midstream. God's intent for humanity hasn't, hasn't changed. It's not like he's, you know, called in the B team later on and didn't change his plan halfway through. Christ, he brings us the full picture, the entire picture. So, and believe it or not, you are part of that picture. You weren't called in as an alternate. You weren't called in when everything started to crumble. You weren't called to your service in God just because he had no other options. Ephesians 1 says that he chose us in him for the foundation of the world. That before everything was even created, he chose Christ. He chose to do it this way. He chose you. And so that's why Jesus says people over the law. And the Pharisees missed this. They lived for the law. Christopher's talked about this in the past, but there's this, there's this uh, understanding that by the Jews and the Pharisees that when Moses went up to receive the Torah, the first five books of the, of the uh, Old Testament, when he went up to receive the law, he came down with all these oral laws and traditions that people were to follow. And the Pharisees claimed, oh, like all this stuff has been in place in, with Moses. It's just been passed down for generations. Like this was the Pharisees' bread and butter. Like all these actual laws, these were the ones that were supposed, like really not supposed to break. But all these other laws that have been created, really the Pharisees kind of just piled it all on. Uh, all of these other laws are to keep you far away from this law. So the Pharisees, they missed something important. They missed the, the fact that the law was written for the, the ones that God loves. The people that are made in his image, not the other way around. And when they get that backwards, it hurts people. And when we get that backwards, it hurts people. It hurts the people made in, in God's image. When we take this, this idea of the the law, all the things that we think people are supposed to do, we put that ahead of the person themselves. It's this idea of behavioral modification. So, let's uh, read that, that part 
with the, the hand again. I don't know if I have that back there. I don't know if I do. I just realized maybe I didn't. 9 through 14. Um, I'm going to read it. So he went out from there, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And he asked him, is it lawful for, to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, we'll take a hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than the sheep? So does lawful to good do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And it was restored, healthy like the others. And the Pharisees went out and conspired against him to destroy it. So there's this guy with the hand. And, and we know this kind of guy. We've seen it before. Uh, the guy has this mangled hand. I don't know how it got mangled. doesn't really say anywhere how he got, it got mangled. Maybe he broke it. It wasn't reset properly or at all. Or maybe it was from some kind of disease. We don't know. Or from birth. We don't know. But things like this, we know that it's, it's hard to not get embarrassed over this. And so he obviously didn't want to draw attention to himself. He definitely didn't want to draw attention to his hand. And when I read this story, I, I think of this time that I was in in Mexico, uh, we were in Mexico, we, we went around with a, a pastor and an interpreter and I, we went around and some of the kids uh, went around praying for people in, in the area. And this was a very, um, very poor area, probably the, some of the worst structures, anything like that, that uh, you have seen. And uh, we came across this guy who had, um, we, we came up and prayed for him, him and his family, and, and we saw that his hand was all wrapped up, and we asked him about the hand. And, and uh, this doesn't happen to me a lot, but I really felt like God was, was uh, just prompting me to pray for him. And when God prompts you to pray for him, we're like, I know, because he has to, like, shove me to, to do it. And uh, so I asked the guy, oh, like, could we see your hand? And he, and he unwraps it, and, and then... Uh, we asked if we could pray for it for the healing of his hand and uh, In my mind like okay. Well, I've, I've seen people heal before I've seen you know, I've, I've prayed for people and 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 they've been healed before and, and I've prayed for people and, and Indirectly they've they've been they've been miraculously healed uh, And so I was like I just feel like God wants to, to heal his hand, but of course, you know, I, I'm like what if he doesn't? Like, what do we all think? What if he doesn't? But uh, I often have to pray for boldness for myself. And so I'm like, well, I'm praying for boldness, so I got to just be bold. And so as bold, we pray for him, and we go around, we pray for his hand, we open our eyes, and, and nothing has changed. And it's like the look of disappointment on everyone's face. Well, here something different happens. Jesus' story ends differently. First of all, the Pharisees are not concerned about whether this guy's hand is healed or not. They're just concerned about themselves. They don't really care about one bit about this guy. Jesus, he knows what's happening. They're, and they start asking him questions. He knows what's happening. They're trying to trap him in, in questions. So what does he do? Of course, classic Jesus, he asks questions back. And so Mark 3 brings up some extra, extra questions, but he... Uh, he asks whether on the Sabbath he should do good or evil. And Matthew records uh, whether he should save a sheep who's in danger on the Sabbath. And, well, the rules are when, when someone, some person's life is in danger, then you can save them on the Sabbath. And generally accepted, same thing for animals. Uh, 
So most likely the man with the messed up hand doesn't fall in this category. We don't know, maybe he could have, but most likely he didn't end, you know, his life wasn't in threatened, wasn't threatened. It's probably just something that he's been living with. But Jesus, he corners the Pharisees with this question. Well, should I do good or evil? Should I save a life? Well, yeah, I should. So should I help this guy or not? And no matter what the Jesus, the, Jesus, the Pharisees weren't going to answer. So they stayed quiet. And Mark writes that Jesus got angry at them because of this. Because they cared about their law over man. They cared about their own reputation, their, the preservation of themselves over this guy's healing. So we have to ask like, the question, why does God give us the laws that he gives? Is it so that we can make him happy? Growing up in the church, like this wasn't something that was directly taught to me, but you know, kids pick things up. And I, uh, I felt like a lot of times, well, these laws, these rules and all this stuff, like the rules everywhere else are just made to make other people happy. Like in my mind, it's like the rules at school, the rules at home, the rules from everyone in the authority around me. It's just made to make other people happy. Like I just have to follow these rules. I can have fun besides these rules, but they're all just in place to make things happen or make God people happy. And so I felt the same way about God. But let me, let me ask you this question. Uh, how many toys do you think Stacy and I had before we had kids? Zero. Very, very few. I remember we had nieces and nephews before we had kids and they would come over to our house. They'd walk into our house and they'd be like, what? Like, where are all the toys? They're like, oh man, maybe we should get some toys. But they were always just so confused, baffled why we didn't have any toys. And of course, we have toys now. Like, our house is filled with toys. Grandma buys them toys, we buy them toys. And the thing that's different is we have a kid. And so, do you think that we had kids so that there was someone to play with the toys? God made his laws for our benefit, not to make him happy. God, God didn't create us so that there was someone to obey his laws. And the Pharisees, they, of course, get it backwards. And Jesus, he asks, he asks them these questions and they stay silent. And it's kind of like when you ask a, a kid, like we'll, we'll ask Dean, are you supposed to do blank? Are you supposed to do this? And uh, we, of course, know the answer. He knows the answer, but what do we want? We want the, the verbal affirmation that he knows the rules. He knows we know the rules. We know he knows the rules. He knows both of us know the rules, but that's not what we're after. We're not after the answer. We're after the admittance. We ask because when he admits that he knows the rules, he's then accountable to his own words. So that's why the Pharisees don't want to answer this question. And what was true for the Sabbath was true for the entire law. God didn't create us so that there's someone to obey his laws. And when Christians do this, they hurt people made in God's image. But what do we do? We do it anyways. What I like to call behavioral modification. And it's about the preservation of ourselves and our image. And it, all this might be why some of us or maybe some people you know are disenfranchised with the church. 
or maybe left it in entirely. This passage dives deep into a secret core value of most churches. I'll describe it in two words, behavioral modification. Be nice for kids. Don't cuss for students. Just plain old hypocrisy for adults. And it's this idea that, that the penultimate goal of Christianity is good behavior, this non-offensive life, at least when people aren't looking. So verse uh, 15 through 23, so moving on. Jesus, he's aware of all this. He withdrew from there, and many followed him, aware of, you know, the Pharisees trying to kill him, and healed everyone, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I've chosen, who, uh, my beloved, whom my soul was well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now this sounds extreme, but it's kind of this, uh, this idea. Like, Have you ever watched a video where someone says something so offensive that you're just like, oh, like I can't believe that person said it. And then the, that person gets confronted by the person that was offended, and then they completely overreact. Like maybe they do something violent, or they completely lose their cool. And you're like, oh, well, you know, he shouldn't have said that, but that guy way overreacted. That's kind of one of those situations. So Jews reading this whole thing, their jaws would have dropped. Like a Jew's ident identity was intertwined with the temple. And they've been told this so long that that's how they felt their lives were set apart. So an attack on the Sabbath would have felt like an attack on their very identities. And the, the Sabbath was the thing that was keeping the Jews different from other groups in the world. But Jesus is saying people are more important than Sabbath, and many Jews would have seen it the other way around. And Jesus is going on about the kingdom of God, and it's here to usher more people into the kingdom. And a lot of times the Pharisees just wanted to keep people out. So Jesus, hearing of all this stuff, he ends up withdrawing. And it's, it's kind of a physical implication of something that's happening, I think, deeper, deeper down in, in the reality of those relationships. The gap between Jesus and the religious elite was growing larger. And as Jesus goes, more people follow him. Because they think, oh, Jesus isn't a hypocrite like some of these other people. Jesus speaks the truth, whether it hurts people or not, whether it's like offensive to them or not. And uh, it might even be something that's really you know, hard to hear. He went and he healed everyone and continued to ask them not to tell who he was. He didn't want his ministry to be for show, and he truly cared about those people in need, and he wanted them to know that. Says that he will not quarrel or cry aloud. It's not gonna, he's not gonna scream about everything that he's doing. Uh, and it says that this was fulfilled prophecy, and it points out the, the humble and quiet nature of Jesus' ministry. So, what do we do with this? I'm gonna go on to the, the how then should we live? How should we then live? First, find peace in Christ in his kingdom. 
So examine your heart to, and see where you rely on yourself or rely on the stuff you have, the other relationships that you have before Christ. Allow Christ, second, allow Christ to change you and to stop faking it. Like that whole behavioral modification, hypocrisy factor. And lastly, value people above your expectation for those people. Would you guys pray with me, please? God, I, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and your example. And uh, as we partake together in a communion this morning, that you would uh, that you would help us examine our hearts and see where uh, we fall short of uh, our reliance on you, where we want to rely on ourselves. God, I, I pray that we would remove our uh, expectations on, on other people and allow them to be as as uh, as messed up as we are in transition as we are, and that you would bring us closer and closer to uh, a, what a life lived after you should look like. We thank you, God, and we pray this all in your name.